1: Hi, I'm Brett Helling, author of Gig Worker, and if you want to build meaningful relationships, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my good friends, Travis Chapel and Eric Skorzynski. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, The only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready
2: to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Brett, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. Well, we like to give a lot of context for our guests. So take me back to middle school, Brett. Like what was on your mind? What was your kind of personality and kind of uh kind of childhood like?
1: I gotta say, I gotta give it to my parents. My upbringing and childhood was was fantastic Mm. so my parents were always there for me never missed a game I had never missed an activity they were just super supportive and kind of no matter what I did whether I sucked at school or I was great at you know business they they always supported me so that's kind of a great middle school Brett uh, I have a twin brother and he's like my best friend always has been and He and I realized that when we were 12 years old, that we needed to start a company because we couldn't work for somebody else's. So we started this little uh, mowing company, had a couple of yards in my neighborhood. It ended up getting to the point where we had like 10 or 15 of these things. And this was before I could even get a, a part time job as a middle schooler. So we were kind of running around spent our summers doing that and just spending the money on, I don't know, candy bars and like model rockets stuff we thought was interesting
2: and good. No, no, that's awesome. Was your, was your family entrepreneurial at heart? Like did your parents, you know, were the nine to fivers or were they kind of doing the same thing, getting odd jobs and doing that kind of stuff on the side?
1: So my parents kind of sacrificed a lot for us growing up, and my mom stayed home with us, so she was okay. a full-time stay-at-home mom. worked part-time, I think, at a women's clothing store, if I remember correctly. But um, she, her main thing was taking staying home and taking care of us. And then my dad has a, an event planning company, so they do big, huge corporate events for you know Fortune 500 companies and really, really cool stuff. I actually used to work there for four years as mm-hmm. I was kind of building my side hustle, which is now my career, but, um, I worked there and that was fun.
2: Yeah. So you kind of identified that kind of entrepreneurial itch pretty early. Um, and I, I think, I think that's pretty common with most people we talk to is like, it's, it starts at a really early age, you get that bug. And I know that was the case for me. Like and same thing, it was, my dad worked at a school. It was like, can I mow lawns? Can I do this? Can I clean bathrooms? And then, you know, spend the money on, I wish I would have learned the investment side early. Uh, so just blowing the money on the stuff I did, but it was, it was really cool. And, and uh, I'm curious, did you, did you have a trajectory in mind? Like, did you have in your mind, like, Hey, when I grow up, I want to do this or when I can get a job, I want it to be this specific thing. Or did you, was it really just, Oh, whatever I can do to make some extra, extra cash. You know, I'm going to do it.
1: Um. So when I was really young, I wanted to be a fire truck, not a fireman. I wanted to be the truck, the actual I, truck, the truck. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of learned how life worked, uh, realized that that wasn't an option, unfortunately, but yeah. So I wanted to, Kind of wanted to go into the trades and be a construction worker, Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know what I was good at. And it wasn't until college, actually, that I kind of found that building this whole business thing is that's kind of my thing. And um, I can't really go work for somebody else. I I I just I don't do well in a structured nine to five environment. So it wasn't up until in college I spent a lot of time trying to apply at Fortune five hundred companies, do the nine to five thing. I kind of had this idea of. know, I'm from the Midwest, so everybody, they graduate college, find somebody to date, get married and have kids and just work a stable job. And that's great, but that's not really the life I want, at least not in that order. And uh, so, so I kind of like doing things that are interesting. So when I got to college, started working some internships and stuff, realized that the corporate life just wasn't for me and started doing all sorts of side hustles. I got into cryptocurrency. I got into... Uber driving, we'd throw these big, huge parties for people and have like, you know, 2000 people. We'd run out of like venues here in town and made like 20 foot tall paper mache hands that flew around, like all sorts of just crazy stuff. Um, It just was interesting at the time. And now I looked back and it was like, this was kind of a business in the making, but it was just kind of learning the business and learning just what I'm good at and what I enjoy.
2: Yeah, what what was it about the corporate environment? Because you spent a little bit of time in that. What was it about it that didn't appeal to you? Was it just being capped on income? Was it the hours? Like, what was it that just really rubbed against you the wrong way? I guess.
1: Uh, being told what to do. So obviously, uh, it's understandable that if somebody's paying me a paycheck, they're going to tell me what to do. I'm going to have to do a lot of things I don't like to do, but that just comes with the job. But in doing that, I just realized I'm just I'm good at. Not a whole lot of stuff. Like if I put my mind to something and learn a skill, I I become very good at it. That's just my personality. Yeah. But in terms of the structured nine to five environment, I couldn't really do what I enjoyed all the time. And in doing so, I would do kind of, I don't know. It, it wasn't necessarily about the income. That's certainly a factor, but it's more of just like interests. Yeah. And I have ADD as well. So I I I can't sit and you know read a textbook, or if get somebody gives me a case study to read, I can't sit there and Read it unless I'm interested in it. So I think that kind of works to my disadvantage as well.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. We um we were at a we were at a dinner last night here in Vegas, and we had uh, uh, Travis was talking to the former CEO of Chipotle, and he was talking about you know teams, and he was saying income is not as big a factor for most people as we tend to think it is. Like we tend to elevate the importance of income, and obviously, if we can choose richer versus poorer, we're gonna choose richer. But a lot of times it's just the desire for these other personal goals like freedom. Is it family time? Is it being able to do something else? Like it's usually not the income because there's a lot of people that get into these corporate jobs that pay really well. And then they start itching to leave, (laughs) you know, like they're like, I need to get out of this and do something on my own. It sounds like that was kind of your position. It was like, I just want to be able to do my own thing at the times that I want to.
1: Exactly. And the the biggest thing is I I run a lifestyle business. At the end of the day, I do um, own a portfolio of thirteen websites. They make money on ads, stuff I sell. It's very much pretty passive income. I've outsourced a lot of it to my team. Um, I have a team of outsourced, you know, VAs and stuff like that. And for the most part, I run a lifestyle business, so I can travel when I want. I can hang out with my family, things like that. And that to me, if if it really hit the fan and it all collapsed, I'd rather go and work a side job at a golf course or something and, you know, really cut down my income just so I have that freedom. Cause once you, once you get it, it's really hard to go back.
2: Right. Right. What, what was the first website that you kind of ventured out and started? Like, what was the first one of these that really took off and was your own?
1: So I was, uh, I would mentioned earlier that I was an Uber driver in college. And at the time the they kind of just gave you two training videos and had you just go and, drive. And you didn't really know what you were doing, where you were going, anything like that. So I started writing this little blog. What's It's now called Ridester.com. So it's an information hub about, I built it out into information about people looking to drive for rideshare services, for delivery services, things like that. And um, that was kind of an accident. I just, I just made a little blog, shared some information on it, and it really took off. And at the time Uber and Lyft and the, those were the main ride share companies there are more now obviously but at the time they were giving away these super lucrative promotions so I started writing about those and that really took off so that's kind of when I learned the power of online marketing and running a website and building those
2: yeah that's that's awesome uh, so i mean obviously i was reading one of your blog posts and it was from it was from january and you were saying that uh where was it? Yeah. It said freelancing. There was a freelancing in America study from Upwork and it said it won't be long before 50% of the American workforce is contract-based. When would you say you identified that as being the, the direction things were going? Because obviously, you know, when Uber first came out, there was a lot of, you know, skepticism, I think, from the passenger side, even to people like, is that a legitimate job? Can you do that? Can you make good money doing it? But now- it does seem like that's the way the future. Like, when would you say you recognize? Like, hey, this is where things are going. It's gonna be this kind of gig economy.
1: Um, so that was probably in 2019. I made a website, kind of branched off into from Ridester, which was just mainly information about ride sharing delivery. I branched off, um, realized I kind of pigeonholed myself into that. Um, you know, with the name like Ridester, I could rebrand or something, but it's largely information about ride sharing. So I branched off into a website as the gig economy itself as kind of holistically unfolds. I branched off into um started making a website called gigworker.com which is uh just as I did with ride sharing um kind of ridester was uh it helped people navigate the ride share industry. I'm looking to do that with gigworker to navigate the gig economy. So in 2019 is when I really got aggressive about building that out and I just that's when I started learning about how much was out there that I had no idea before. And um ended up writing a book on it that just got published in, uh, what was it April? Yeah, last month. And so there's a lot of information out there. So that's when I kind of it clicked in my head to answer your question about the gig economy is here to stay. People are really making that shift. And then when COVID hit, um, so it's kind of in the back of my mind about that's what is happening and that's kind of the direction that the, you know, that business in general is going. And when COVID hit, that really was just the catalyst to kind of bring it full circle and say, it's moving in this direction, but now because companies had to do it and workers had to adopt that style of working, it's here to stay.
2: It was almost an accelerated evolution process. You know, it was, it was things. Yeah. When I keep hearing people on the news talk about, when things go back to normal or I hear politicians say, when we go back to normal. And to me, you know, obviously COVID hit everybody like a brick to the face, you know, like who would have expected what it's been. But for me, it was just thinking like these companies and more importantly, I think employees who've gotten a taste of working from home, living essentially, even the nine to fivers are living that freelancer life a little bit right now to get people back into a cubicle is going to be really hard work. And it seems like This is just COVID forced companies to go to the future a lot quicker. And it sounds like really what your position is, is like, we're not going to go back to we're not going to go back to 1950s, get a cubicle, get a job and stay there. Um, It's going to look like this, like we're going to be on Zoom calls. We're going to be working remotely and, uh, and and kind of moving forward, moving forward that way.
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis.
2: Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Before I dive into a gig worker, because I, I really do want to talk about that a little bit. I, I'm kind of curious. You'd mentioned having you know several different websites that all operate. You had done RideStir. Now you're branching out. You're kind of focused on the gig economy side. Uh, how important do you think it is for people who are creating these different brands to niche down, you know, cause like you said, you kind of pigeonhole yourself into ride but also being so niche probably helped that succeed and, and helped it get a lot of, a att- uh, lot of attention. Uh, how important is it for people to stay focused in their brand on one specific topic versus trying to be more, be more broad.
1: So I've learned that one the hard way. And I think if you have something that's working, there is always, you can always take it to the next level. So I've gotten so many times, for example, you see with ad agencies, they try to do everything. The most effective agencies I've ever worked with are the ones that they only do one thing and they do it really, really well. So they are masters of their craft. They find, you know, repeatable processes. They just do the same thing and they get really good at it. And it's very difficult for people to even compete with them because they're so good. And a lot of times agencies, for example, um, they try to cover all sorts of, you know, verticals and and niches and like types of marketing. So they might say they're experts in SEO, but yet they're also experts in branding and design and all these different things. And it's, to me, I look and say, that's very hard to get very good at everything. There are some out Mm -hmm. there, but usually like the best people in SEO are the ones who that's all they do all day. The best designers are the ones that's all they do all day. So I'd say it's if you're trying to get good at something, and especially repeat it as a business owner, and like really build in margin and profitability. If you try to do all things, you're going to fall flat on your face every time. So I think it's critically important to answer your question.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the jack of all trades, master of none thing is a is a very true statement. I find, and even <laughs> even when branding yourself, you know, like I I think like everybody when I first jumped out, and I, I mean I've I worked. I've worked for an actual company for like two years out of the time that I've worked. And, you know, but even when I was marketing myself as a freelancer, I was always like, I'm a videographer. I can do photos. I can do graphic design. I can do websites and I would struggle to land jobs a lot more than when I narrowed down my offer to like, I do this one thing. And this is what I do because people trust you more. Like there's that, Oh, you're an expert in podcast production. You're an expert in or video production or whatever that is for you and so i do i think it's niching down is super super valuable
1: exactly one caveat to that is mm. if you know if i'm working on a contract for somebody and they need something else done i'm happy to do it for them if it's a value add but i don't go and advertise that right so if somebody's to come and say i'm working on their site they say hey i need some social media graphics like can you do it like sure yeah that's a value add to them that makes me look good that that helps them so sure yeah i'll do that or or, or i find somebody who can but in terms of like advertising what I do, I don't go and say I do that because that's not something I'm that good at.
2: (laughs) Right, and it makes for a sloppy business card when you've got like 30 different (laughs) job descriptors on there. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, uh, Do you think there's a balance there? So like, so when you're working on a project, and this happens all the time, you're working on a project and someone says, hey, can you also do this? Or can you throw this in? Are you of the mentality of like, you'll say yes to whatever that question is and then figure it out? Or is it something where you try to just like stay within your wheelhouse if you don't know at all? Or do you just say, yes, let me find somebody or, you know, or we'll learn how to do it? Like, what's kind of your approach to that?
1: Um, so it kind of depends on what what the task is. But overall, I, I'll i be just very honest. I try to have a very honest conversation. Like if I do a consulting job, I am not in the whole thing for, you know, I'm not in it to make the money. I mean, to an extent, I am. But I'm not trying to just make some quick cash and call it good. Like I'm very much looking to drive results. Yeah. So if something I'm asked to do will drive results, then I'll just be very honest and say, Hey, I don't know much about that. Like, let me look into it. Let me find somebody. Or if it's something that I know I can just learn super quick, I'll just do it that way then. Mm. So it's kind of like just using some intuition on, I I don't want to be in a position where I'm going to get myself in over my head because that's not a good position to be in.
2: Absolutely. Uh, So so let's talk a little bit about about Gig Worker and um, and just kind of the genesis of that. So like, obviously, working for yourself is one thing. Trying to create a hub where other people can find uh, different gigs and opportunities is another. Uh, What kind of sparked the idea of starting that site um, and focusing in on that?
1: Um, So I'm a scuba diver and I... Was doing a training dive. I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. So hmm. there's very landlocked. There's not a lot of scuba diving. I was say, doesn't it doesn't sound here. like
2: a booming scuba industry over there uh, in Nebraska.
1: As much as I wish I was, it was the closest you can get is a limestone pit mine that's flooded and it's all muddy and it's diving, but it's not great diving. So, anyways, I was at the uh, at this local dive shop and they have a pool where you can test out gear and stuff. And I was just doing a refresher dive after a training course. And just kind of getting my skills all um, touched up, and I looked up at the ceiling. I, I had kind of grown Ridester at, at this point. I had grown Ridester from two hundred fifty thousand unique visitors a month to about one point five million, and I was trying to figure out how to how to grow that even more. But I kind of just realized there's only so so much it can grow. Right. So I was just trying to think of what's next for me. I don't want to go work at a job. I. I want to start another website and I looked up at the ceiling from the bottom of this pool and um, I saw these light bulbs and I thought okay well if that's one niche in the gig economy ride sharing what if what are the rest of them I could talk about so that's kind of after that I went home got out of the pool dried off and went home and just started making some calls and that's kind of where gig worker was born
2: Right, right. What what was the first step in that process? Was it because obviously it's a pretty robust site at this point. Um, did you already have a team in place that had helped with rider that kind of just transitioned over, or was it kind of a its own fresh new team?
1: So that's a story in itself. The um to start though, like to design it, I had a I have a design kind of team that I I I have built. Um so I do like the research and then somebody will design stuff, somebody will do content. Somebody will do link building. So I've kind of, I had loosely had all that in place from growing Ridester. Mm. Um That team is actually how I grew the site so so big. And so I kind of just called them up and ran it by them. And we, the next day we had something to work on. <laughs>
2: right, right, right. So for for someone who is approaching us for the first time, you know, maybe they're working nine to five and they want to completely transition out of it. Or uh, maybe they're in a position where they just want some extra income on the side Uh, you've just written a book kind of covering this topic, like kind of introducing this world to people. I don't want to spoil the entire book for them because I want them to go pick up a copy right now as they're listening to the episode. But maybe what's the, what's one of the core concepts or maybe a few practical applications that you'd encourage people to take away uh, from the book?
1: So the first thing I would suggest people do when looking to get into the gig economy is figure out two things. Why do you want to get into the gig economy? Like, what do you want out of it, and what are you good at? Hmm. So back when I first was doing ride sharing, the gig economy was largely just like Uber and Lyft. And then there was Airbnb and some others at the time, smaller companies, but now you can do all sorts of things. So you can rent things, you can, there's just so much to do. Right. And so in figuring out which kind of track you want to go down, that will largely be dependent on, you know, what are you looking to get out of it? Like, if you're just looking to save some money for a vacation, like Uber would be a good example. Just, you know, you do it, it's quick. You don't have to learn a lot. You just, you kind of get out there and do it. But if you're looking to make a career out of it, I'd suggest mastering a skill like SEO or consult some type of consulting and maybe take that route and then build, you know, a mini agency. So it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Because if you're looking to make a ton of money and you get in and you're trying to do the wrong things, it's just not going to work out for you.
2: (laughs) Right, right. What do you, what would you say is the biggest mistake? Just before we pivot our conversation and networking, what would you say is the biggest mistake that you see people make as they try to to juggle maybe that like exiting a nine to five or balancing a nine to five with kind of the gig the gig world? Hands down, discipline.
1: And it's mm-hmm. I, I've fallen victim to that quite a few times. I have a very structured day now, um, from the d- the moment I wake up to you know my morning routine to kind of how I approach tasks but discipline. So people think that, you know, in a nine to five, you've got somebody looking over your shoulder. So there's, you have peers, it, it, there's constant accountability when you're on your own, you're on truly on your own. So if you don't want to respond to that email, you don't have to, <laughs> but right. it'll just stack up and stack up. And then you'll just, you know, you're not going to get things done. And especially if you're doing client work, like in a freelancing application, for example, clients will notice and they give you bad reviews if you're if you're on a platform like Upwork or you get a bad reputation so you kind of always have to be disciplined and on top of things because you're the master of your own success.
2: Right, right. Are there any are there any softwares or anything you've used because that's one thing that is you know, obviously with, within group organizations, you can have accountability softwares and and reports and things. Are there any softwares or things that you use to keep yourself accountable? Like when you're doing something in kind of the solopreneur world?
1: Yeah. So I use Asana as task management. There's all sorts of things kind of, I use, um, I, I, have my calendar. If I don't put something in a meeting, this one drives my girlfriend nuts because we go on a date and it's like in my calendar, (laughs) like, well, like I'm going to forget if, if I don't have that as sad as it sounds, but it's just, I do so much in a given day that I, things have to be written down. Then I also batch tasks. So this one comes from the five hour work week, by Tim Ferriss, Um, I'm sure most have heard of that by now, but I've been doing this for a while and it helps tremendously. So I spend 30 minutes Th- throughout the day, just batching emails. So that's just like, that's where my mind is at. There's short tasks I don't really have to focus on. So I get a bunch done, I feel productive. And then on top of that, I write down things when I get into my office, like what do I want to accomplish for the day? And then there's just something about checking something off a list that just gives you motivation to keep going. Yeah. So that's kind of how I approach um, loosely uh, task management.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, obviously, this show is called Build Your Network. And so I want to definitely steer uh-huh. the conversation in that direction a little bit. Uh, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why?
1: Ooh, that's a, uh, I think they're equally important. Hmm. So it kind of depends on the why. So what you know unlocks doors to who you know is, is kind of how I think about it. So if you really don't, Like if you master some type of skill or task or business, whatever it is, that you tend to roll with those same people in that same industry. So like I'm an SEO guy. I I know a lot of guys that do that. I love talking about it. So so I meet up with people and we have discussions about that. And I'm also a part of this entrepreneur's organization. It's, It's called EO. And that is just a bunch of entrepreneurs. So largely when I go and hang out or do something or, you know, go to lunch or dinner on a given weekday. It's usually with somebody from there. So that's kind of the what, and then the who is so important. Like I accidentally landed a consulting job at an ad agency just based on a networking meeting I had. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even related to what we were talking about. It just Mm -hmm. kind of came up and it was what I knew is why I got that job.
2: Right. Right. Can can you think of a certain relationship that just like specifically impacted your business or your life, like something that maybe changed the trajectory of how you thought about something or, or a direction you took career-wise?
1: Yeah. So I've largely in doing what I do, I don't really have a need to network Mm -hmm. a lot, or I didn't think I did. So I would just put my head down, you know, work 10 hours at a time behind my computer and just build something on my own. And I flew to New York one day for, to meet with a consultant. He had taken multiple companies public. So he was kind of like a scaling consultant. Okay. And I thought that was my first attempt at kind of networking and figuring out this guy is like, he's taking companies from nothing to billion dollar valuations. If there's any, if I'm going to scale my company, this is a great guy to talk to. So I flew out there met with him. And as we were in the elevator on the way out, I said, what's the best thing, piece of advice like you could give me right now? And he said, join a peer group where Mm. you can network. And that's how I got into EO on the plane ride back. I applied, Um, anyways, that was a whole process, but got, I ended up getting accepted and that's changed my life. Like whether it's just, and it's not necessarily building my business. Like you can, when you network with somebody, you can pull, extract small things of information, like a nugget here, nugget here, and it all builds on itself eventually. But the thing that I have realized the most is having somebody that just understands, like, I can't go talk to my friends about my business. They're, they're all like nine to five jobs, but I can go and talk to this networking group. And it's, it's just that component of it has, has changed my life so fundamentally.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's super valuable, and I was going to ask if you'd gotten involved in any masterminds or or had any mentorships or anything that had been really valuable, and and it really is. I think it's I think even for people that are strictly solopreneurs, just to get around people that can resonate with that lifestyle is really helpful, just mental health wise. Like it's good to get around people that you can talk yeah. to about about those experiences. You you kind of hinted at something I, I I wanted to ask about. So obviously you've scaled these into legitimate businesses, like they're not just side hustles anymore. There's a lot of solopreneurs I talk to. I can think of one right now, graphic designer who, you know, does well, but doesn't want to move past having four or five clients. Like they want to just stay in the comfort zone of of just having a few they can manage on their own. What would you say to someone who's questioning whether they want to expand what is like a, a side hustle to being an actual business where they're running it and outsourcing things and paying people to do certain tasks for them? When should somebody make that jump?
1: So i'd ask if if somebody came to me, if i had a friend that was coming to me and saying should i do this or should i not i would first tell them to say like what look at what you are sacrificing by going to the next level hmm. so if you, if you purposely have limited your client your clients to only four or five that allows you to do the things you enjoy i would take a very hard look at do you want to give that up because when you go to the next level eventually you can probably put an infrastructure in place that allows you to have a lifestyle business at scale. But oftentimes there are like years behind the scenes where you struggle. Like I I've seen it for my own business. I've, I've been screwed over. I've been, I went through a very trying time in 2019 as I tried to expand. And luckily I'm, I think I'm past that, but it's not easy to figure out. Right. So, so that's one big thing that I would, I would look and say, be ready to put in the sacrifice of time that just really is not fun before you leave your lifestyle business.
2: Right. Yeah. That's, that's super valuable, super valuable advice. Uh, I'm going to transition us here into our random round section, uh, just a couple quick random questions with some quick answers. Uh, What profession other than your own, do you think it'd be fun to attempt?
1: I think it'd be cool to be a vet, a vet. Like for animals, okay, that'd be really cool. I know it takes years of schooling, and it's not just playing with animals all day, but I think that'd be that'd be cool. It'd be rewarding and fulfilling, and I just I love animals too.
2: Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour about anything, who would it be and why? Oh, I think Henry Kissinger. Hmm. It'd be
1: um, just somebody like that that just has such a unique. View of the world, and they've just seen so much. And I'm not a huge politics guy by any means, but I just think it'd be cool to see, like, how do you manage different, you know, kind of cultures and societies, and like, what is the view of the world that he looks through? Like, what's his litmus test for making decisions and things like that?
2: Right, right. But what's your favorite way to learn new information? Is it books, audio books, podcasts, watching, you know, uh, courses? Like, what's your favorite way to learn?
1: Uh, Format-wise. If I'm learning about something that's interested in audio, so whether it's podcasts or audio books, I listen to them usually on two speed as I run and, um, you know, go run six, seven miles, something like that, and get like a a good chunk of the way through something. Um, but if I'm actually doing the work and trying to learn something, I I need to do it visually and hands-on. Like somebody needs to show me how to do it.
2: Yeah. Uh, Give me a glimpse of your morning routine. I think you gave a little bit of it earlier, but what's your, what's your full morning routine look like? Sure.
1: So, um, I wake up at five Oh two every day, not five o'clock five Oh two. I, I don't know why it just, it has to be that way. Okay. Um, I set four alarms. So, um, set my iPhone, my iPad, my home pod, and then I have all my, um, lights and speakers and stuff in my house are connected. So it all comes on it at, at that time. I wake up, I journal, I do a Wait, devotion. H-
2: how much does your girlfriend hate that?
1: <laughs> uh, a lot. <laughs>
2: Because oh, I set one really loud alarm on my phone and my wife hates it. She absolutely hates my alarm. So you've got a whole rigged out system. So again, I get up pretty
1: quick and I shut them all off. So it hasn't been a big issue, but I can see how that that would be. <laughs> yeah, so I wake up, I journal, do a devotion, I eat, I take my dog on a walk, and then I meditate. And usually if time permitting, um, I will either go on a run or if I can't do it in the morning, I do it at night.
2: Okay, gotcha. Uh, what's your go-to pump-up song? I know you listen to podcasts when you run, but do you have like a pump-up song that gets you motivated?
1: Um, it kind of depends on the situation. My "Jump Around" by House of Pain is fantastic, <laughs> or yeah, by Usher. I like those; those two are classics.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. What what's something you're not very good at? Paying attention.
1: I, I really, I'm horrible at. If I'm not interested in something, there's there's no way it's going to keep my attention.
2: Just tune out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just tune out. I just sit there and just look around and I'm like, why am I here?
2: <laughs> gotcha. Well, what's one place online where people can connect with you the most?
1: Um, so either LinkedIn or you could send me an email if you want to connect directly at brett at gigworker.com. So it's B-R-E-T-T at gigworker.com, G-I-G-W-O-R-K-E-R.com.
2: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw a link in the show notes to that so people can connect with you there. And definitely be sure to pick up a copy of Brett's book. We've got that in the show notes as well. So you can head over there. Be sure to buy that right now, at least add it to your shopping cart so you can remember to check out later. But uh, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great.
2: Absolutely. Awesome.
1: That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to TravisChapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there.
0: And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.